Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of France, London, wine, cognac, and so much more. Today's guest, Mr. Seb Derbomay, the national brand ambassador for Monkey Shoulder Scotch. We sat down recently in Austin, Texas, talking about his life as a French-Australian guy learning to speak English from Love Actually in London. It's a great He's an animated guy, great style, great hair, and it was great to sip some monkey shoulder scotch with him. Again, you know, yet another member of the William Grant and Sons roster on the show, and it is a great group, a great bunch, and they're always fun. So, without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Seb Debromay from Monkey Shoulder. Hairdresser. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Is a a, do you so like? Is it a, tra- a traveling hairdresser that goes with you? Actually, I've got I've got what you call uh, a home hairdresser. What? Okay, uh, what's that? Um, I've been really lucky. Uh, I married a beautiful Australian woman uh-huh. who is uh, a hairdresser. Perfect. So he make it really convenient to have like a, a really cutting hair haircut every yeah. every week. You know, when he's growing a little bit too much, hop up up a little trim. So I'm always on top of it, <laughs> which yeah. I know a lot of people because they're like, oh, you go to the hairdresser all the time. I'm like, I don't. I no, have it that's at home. amazing though. Yeah. yeah. And you know, she, she take pride in it because I get, because you say I travel all the time. Yeah. And even in New York, when I go around and you would not believe actually how many people tell me that and ask me. Really? And then I can advertise actually for her. I was like, yeah. well, matter of fact, if you're looking for a hairdresser, my wife is working in this salon here. So, you know, don't that's hesitate amazing. to go and see her. So yeah, I'm. In a way, I'm I'm doing advertisement for her too. It works, and you spread the word for free. Yeah, absolutely, she knew what she was doing when she made yeah, it. Yeah, she got she? some new clients from office and stuff yeah. like that. Like, I mean, mostly girls because she do a specialty is uh, coloring. Yeah, so she's really good in coloring. Did you, is that how you guys met by chance? Uh, no, no, actually, uh, we met in London, and uh, I was a bartender, and she was one of my customers. I see. So you know, I look after my customer very well. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe white too. glove service. <laughs> Maybe a bit too well on that Maybe one. Maybe too well. Yeah. Well, so this whole story, you know, we're here in Austin, and this is the second time I've seen you probably about a year and a half, which is great. Yeah. Austin is a great place. Your mm-hmm. mates come here all the time. <laughs> D- David, Glenn Fittick Dave is always spinning. He's always starting parties. Oh, yeah. Wingo. Oh. Great group, right? Love uh-huh. you guys so much. But this whole thing, this whole story starts just outside of Spain in a town called, it's a French town, but yep. Which, what was the town called that you the, grew up? The town where I grew up. Yeah. Uh, it's actually a little little village uh, next to Narbonne. And Narbonne, it's called, okay. yeah, it's called Nissan les Anserunes. Yeah, it's a all, there is an oppidum uh, right next to it. And it's part of the old um, road uh, which link Rome, you know, the empire, yeah, the, yeah. empire the Roman Empire, to, to the rest of Europe. No so, kidding. yeah, it's actually a lot of like archaeological, um, you know, discovery around this area because no he was, yeah, yeah, he was part of the main road from from Roma to to reach the rest of Europe. 
mean, all around a, this Mediterranean. It's a hell of a thoroughfare. Yeah, there is a lot of vineyard, you know, yeah. around there too. So you, as you probably know, the, the Roman used to love the wine and stuff like that. So. They loved a lot of things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, they, they knew how to live really, really well. That's they loved sure. the love. They <laughs> loved <laughs> the wine. <laughs> that's probably what bring them down as well yeah. too. They, they like to party a little bit too much at the end. I, so I, so the, the, I think the Parisians and the, the French in general know how to do it. They can just keep doing it. Yeah. They know when to walk it off. Yeah, that's it. I think know? we... we uh, I don't know if it's in our gene or in, in the tradition to do things, but um, we tend we can drink a lot, but mm. we tend to be okay with walking away at the right time, I think, yeah. or stopping at the right time. I don't know. I, you know, I've been part of other culture. I live, I live in Australia for 10 years, and they, they love drinking as well and right. partying. But I can see for them, they've got different demon, different, <laughs> different problem that's like, this is now you need to stop. That's right. For us, I think we, it's a bit more natural somehow. You guys just know that is the knowing when to leave yeah. knowing when to exit the party even yeah. if you don't say goodbye i think it's, it's probably yeah and i think it's probably the fact is because we you know we got the aperitif yeah and oh, we right. got the, the wine during dinner and then we have the digestive so when you get the digestive you know you're at the end of the road that's right uh, when a lot of culture to just drink whatever the whole time so whenever then yeah. when when do you know it's time to stop you know that's a good point that's the thing that hmm. probably helped so growing up in France, is it as scenic and as beautiful as I kind of hope it is? Yeah, it, it is truly. Like it's, you know, I don't have the chance to go back to, to, um, to where I grew up too often. When I was in Australia, even less. Uh, now I try to do it at least once a year. Yeah. And I've done a trip recently because uh, I went for a workshop actually in Spain. And uh, I stopped to, to visit my family. And I live literally in the middle of nowhere. My village... It's probably still about 4,000 habitants really? uh, as we speak. Yeah, really Are your tiny. Parents still, yeah, my parents, my family is still over there. Yeah, oh, yeah, wow. yeah. Still really tiny. Everyone knows everyone. And we go to this wheel mill on top of the hill, uh-huh. uh, which is like a small forest around my village. And I, 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 I used to go there when I was a kid. And I just went there for a run when I went there uh, to visit my family. And I just stopped through my run and, and looked toward the village. And uh, yeah, I just, I just realized how... I forgot how beautiful. You know, you go away and you visit so many places. Right. But when you come back to where you live, sometimes you stop and you're like, wow, where I grew up, it was like, it's actually. Because you take it for granted when you're yes, a kid. You, you do. Know? Absolutely. I mean, you're in New York now, so that's yeah. a different kind of beautiful, but just yes. very claustrophobic. Yeah. It's claustrophobic in a way. It's a completely different energy. Yeah. yeah completely absolutely. Different energy. It's not open. No. Kind of free like that. I mean, you know, it's no landscape of just, you know, small small villages and in you know, a forest and stuff like that. New York, it's, it's a beast, you know, it's a building, it's, Behemoth, a, yeah. it's a noise, it's the energy, it's a completely different dynamic. Do you so. like the, now kind of, now living in the big city and you lived in Australia for a while, do you need that kind of balance for you? Yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I, yeah, I think I still do. Uh, because I grew up in, in this area, I still feel like, you know, I love the big city and I love New York, yeah. but I, and as soon as I can get a break, I do really enjoy that. Yeah. Um, getting off, you know, just the craziness of the city, even getting off the phone and social media and all that stuff, that's that's still something I enjoy a lot because I didn't grow up with it. That's right. You know, when I look at, you know, people these days and social media is a complete part of their life. Yeah. You know, we grew up in a world where social media didn't exist. We wrote so. letters. Yeah, right. right? And the so <laughs> sometimes I actually love staying away from that. And just I do too. Back to, uh, it's it's back weird to because you want to get stuff done. Yeah. Right, because there's emails, there's all mm-hmm. these tasks kind of looming over you, but in a way, it goes against how we were raised. Yeah, enjoying nature, going outside and playing, getting yeah. getting away from the TV. True, you know, and As, and living in no, no, it's true, and it's totally right. Living in this big city literally take this away from you even more. I yeah. mean, you know, you guys in Austin here, you you're lucky. You still got the feeling of a you know uh, like a small city. Yeah, 
but yeah when you live in new york the, the time just just fly by you get sucked into doing some really simple little things yeah take a lot more time and, and everything goes so much quicker it's faster that, yeah, right yeah a lot faster just sitting out you know i was recently in normandy mm-hmm. and that's the kind of thing where you just can sit and you can yeah. look at these hills and it's green and yeah. you don't have to think a lot yeah. you can just listen i mean smell you know people take time to live people take time to eat yeah which is a big yeah, thing that really we do. don't do uh enough here for sure i can tell you what, I, don't, I don't do it enough anymore because you're walking and eating. you're walking and, right? and eating or you're eating like i've got half an hour i'm gonna grab some lunch yeah no i mean we don't i mean half an hour sometimes it's less than that uh over there you just you just stop for an hour an hour and a half and you go and have lunch i it's mean work is structure around around those breaks you yeah. know if you go you work in the, in the office you'll find no one between 12 and maybe two uh doing much around because people just just stop and we, go and have lunch we never learned that in the no, states man we never did it's it's quite a shame it's a beautiful thing <laughs> <laughs> we get a lot done i guess uh, i don't uh, know uh, man yeah. i bet we'd get more done if we took two hours to just go have a couple of drinks or working lunch as they call it yeah. have a nice meal and come back and we'll be enlivened yeah yeah you know, we'll it's feel a great feeling good. yeah i it miss is it a good feeling uh-huh. growing up in this you know agricultural area like many areas of france probably vineyards like you said around yeah was alcohol itself whether it was wine or digestif apparently were those big parts of your childhood as well yeah yeah a lot of wine it's a massive part of what way i grew up because you you know people work in the wine industry you know you know parents grandparents generation of people literally living out of the wine industry um it's it's in mutation at the moment i mean above all where i come from because it was almost too much um according to you know to the quality they need to f- they, they needed to find a compromise between quantity and and quality right you know back in the days it was it was a fair bit of quanti- you know quantity but they have to they have to change to survive so now they put their um they put their wine together they're trying to to work as a more of a team instead of you know isolated yeah. uh you know winery uh so there's a big mutation and, and also people have to sell some of the the, the land because it's just it was just too much wine and they they couldn't focus on the quality and it's but crazy right it's kind of how it how it's grown yeah like in the past 20 30 years yeah and i'm not saying people are actually probably drinking less as well too yeah which i think it's probably a general thing so you can you can see all over the world um but if you go over there you can see still all around you it's it's vineyard everywhere i miss it so that's a complete different yeah, yeah complete part of your life that's for sure wine at dinner wine at lunch and i'm not taking going through an entire bowl i'm saying no, having sure. a glass yeah yeah no mm-hmm. just, it, half a glass of wine is the perfect yeah. accoutrement for any any dinner yeah. you know it's, even as a kid yeah it's totally acceptable during lunchtime to to go for dinner with you know lunch so yeah. you know during the office time and, and go and have a glass of wine it, it's fine it's well, so it makes me wonder makes sense that you're in hospitality you made that shift mm-hmm. at some point and then it also makes sense that you're surrounded by what is really the representation of a culture yeah. right wine for france scotch for scotland right so mm-hmm. but it seems like when you were what kinds of dreams can you have in a small village in France? Is college and university, is that part of the expectation from the parents there too? Uh, yes, it is. I mean, you know, every parents want the kids to, to, you know, to be successful. Yeah. So, yes, there is definitely a push on, on going to school and going to uni. I mean, in France, we got the chance to have a, a really strong system instead of, I mean, you don't have to pay massive amount of money to go to uni so the government help you a lot yeah so that's great yeah in a way you really have to do it on purpose 
to don't make it to uni because there is there is so many ways every that you opportunity can do it. For yeah there is that, opportunity yeah. for that but there is also like a um not a push but a big acceptation in terms of like the the artisan you know there's yeah. nothing wrong of being a being a mechanic being a baker you know working in a bakery having a trade yeah having yeah. a trade yeah that's a big thing over there too because people are really proud of that because when you grow up in a village you, you need those people and you need those trade. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really kind of a, a, a nice balance. Uh, but the thing is, there is a point where if you want to grow bigger and, and do bigger things, you're going to have to probably get out of the village yeah. uh, because it's just more opportunity in bigger cities. That's for sure. It's an interesting concept. I think that's great that you don't want to tell a kid they're only going to be one thing their whole life necessarily. Yeah. And I, I get that. That's fine. But taking pride in baking, taking pride mm-hmm. in being a mechanic we really miss that we miss the yeah. mark here in the states that way right i think yeah. everybody here they want to be a celebrity they want to be a musician yeah I hear you. is that that is that even a thing in france do people even pursue those kind uh of you know I, I would say probably for for the new generation there is you know through tvs and stuff like that there is yeah. probably a lot more of that uh but i think the french people in general i still go you know, a foot on the ground and, and realize that those trade jobs are still really important yeah. and who doesn't have to have a good mechanic? Who, I mean, don't get me wrong. My friend did the bakery job and they had it <laughs> because it's so early on the morning yeah. and then, you, you know, you sleep during the afternoon so you, you missed on everyone. Sure. Being a baker, it's not a fun life. You literally, yeah. you live on your own. Like, yeah. you're completely opposite hours. Isolated, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's really... It's like being in the bartending. Yeah, it's right? a lonely job. But being a bartending, you're in the center of the action. True. When you... You know, when you're baking, you buy yourself so in your bakery. The, it's the absolute it's, inverse. It's the ultimate the complete, lonely yeah. job, man. And people come and grab your, you know, your bread and they love it. It's nice and warm, delicious. But it's by the time you get to that stage, you're already in bed and someone else selling it for you because yeah. you, you've been working all night. Man. So that's that's when you realize those, those trades are really hard. Even a mechanic, you know, it's it's hard work and it's, you know, the pay. It's not, probably not the it's biggest grueling. salary. I mean, it's very physical. Yeah. You know? So this is absolutely service now is probably a, a bigger thing people want to be part of that being a star yeah i don't know i mean i haven't been in france for 15 years so yeah. i'll be things probably changed a ton oh yeah i can i can see that when i come back it's it's already changing but we're, we're older too right yeah. a little more wise than yeah. from where we grew up yeah so this led you when you talk about engineering or being an electrician yeah what, what did you study when you went into uni uh, I actually study uh, electronic That's, okay. and uh, yeah, yeah, mechanic. I, I did this from you know mostly for my parents. I have to say they wanted me to. There were these things in France like if you choose the scientific, you know, yeah. uh, pass, you're gonna find a job because everyone you know is looking for good odds for that engineer one. and all That's that right, stuff. Yeah. You know the classic, Same thing you know? here, of yeah. course, yeah, doctor, lawyer, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> but you know, and you do it because you know you want to keep everyone happy. But that was not that was not really my thing, and I was lucky enough to to get my diploma. Uh, then I looked for for a job for for about a year or so. It didn't really work out for me because okay. no, because you realize that it's not enough anymore. You know these days, like those yeah. big diploma, most of the time they really. Some, I mean, I shouldn't say that, but they don't always take you somewhere. Yeah, uh, they don't always open the door no, unless you're absolutely you right. unless you gifted and you got a real passion for it. Yeah. but I didn't have any of that. I just went just through college it. and did yeah. it. Uh, and I went back to college afterward to to do um, uh, computer engineering. Okay. Because I, I like computer. I was thinking, wow, great. What about program software yeah. and stuff like that? that? Sounds fancy. That sounds like that makes some that's, money. I right. Think, right. Yeah, yeah. That's what I saw too. 
but after that, yeah, they're kind of the same. Didn't really work out for me. <laughs> uh, I, did, I had the diploma too, actually. I got a bachelor, uh, how do you call that? Maybe equivalent? Yeah, I've got a bachelor yeah. degree yeah, in computer engineering. No kidding. Yeah, so, but it's, I didn't really work out for me. I ended up finding different set of jobs and finally did some uh, teaching. So there was a school, yeah, looking for, you know, when actually kids go in and learn a job, like apprentice, yeah. they're yeah. like, you know, a teenager failing at school. So they go to learn a job and um, and they do like three weeks, you know, in, uh, in uh, with the company yeah, right. and a week at school. So just a week at school, just to cover the basic, like mathematics, you know, French and, you know, some some basics in, uh, in organization and stuff like that. And uh, I was doing the mathematics. Uh, I was really? yeah, replacing the teacher who got sick. Don't ask me how that happened. I don't even know still how that it's, happened because I had an A level in mathematics. Yeah, yeah. So they say, hey, you can't do it. It's pretty basic. So I did that and I, I loved it. It was great actually to be in contact with all the, uh, the kids and stuff. Good, like inquisitive minds, questions yeah. and all that, right? I mean, some of them were pretty naughty. <laughs> uh, put it that way. They were here just because they have to. That's you know, right. Yeah. They, they gave up school. Years, yeah. uh, not years ago, but like a couple of years ago at least. <laughs> it's like at least we can, so, let's like try to make this amicable, yeah. guys. Let's it have was a good really time. challenging. Yeah. yeah, they were just happy to see a young fella jumping in and that's teaching fair. them differently, which was good. Not um, part of the establishment, right? That's right. Yeah. So I developed a taste for, it and then I saw they told me there was no opportunity to do some English classes as well too, and I was like, well, my English is not really up to speed, but I'm, I'll think about yeah. it. And, uh, and long story cut short, really randomly, I found this way to go to London, and uh, you know, you need to find a job, learn you know English. And I started to work in restaurant, and uh, and I just fall in love with the cocktail industry. So and was the move to London to try to find another teaching gig, or was to I try to learn to learn English? Oh, I see. To like be able to yeah, to be able to then pass maybe an extra diploma and be yeah, like, hey, I've yeah. got my blah 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 in English, so now I can jump in and do some courses. Oh, that's amazing. But and I told my mom I'd be back in six months, and it's going to be fifteen didn't years you? now. <laughs> <laughs> she still tap you on the shoulder every uh, now and again. And she say, was at the beginning because she never understood why would I, why do I want to be a where I grew up being a bartender. Oh, it's bad, it's right? Like, yeah, I mean there was two pubs down the road. Yeah, and he was just pouring beers and kicking drunk people out, and, you know, and just nothing fancy. Yeah. So she never really understood the whole cocktail bar scene and how it's very corner. Yeah, yeah, and you know the, the establishment I worked to in London were like you know a Michelin star restaurant. I had the chance to work in. Um, Mambas clubs as well. So I was serving the rich and famous of, of London. I, I was I'm really lucky. Uh, I work I work really hard, but I, I you know I got some really cool gigs over there. Yeah. And uh, when I told her the, told her the story, and she couldn't believe it, and then I just carry on to do that, and and, and the rest is history. You know? How did you like the different tempo of London? Very very busy. Very very. You buildings everywhere it was crazy for me you know i uh you know come from a little village i mean i moved to to montpellier which is the biggest bigger town to do my study and yeah. then i also went to marseille as i mentioned to you before just to do another degree so i was already keen on on bigger city but yeah. london was definitely for me the the next level i was like it's, wow yeah, this is incredible it's dense. accelerating yeah it, it is was, accelerating it three yeah. three years the, some of the best years of my life it was uh, a lot of fun as a young man Going to a big city by himself, I presume? Yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, we actually, I had the chance to jump in with the, the group of French people through an association down in south of France. Oh. They had like a yeah, crazy partnership with uh, uh, an association in London. So they will help us out. So you uh, had kind of bit. a community then? Yeah, we had. We, we, we went with friends. Uh, a lot of us, you know, went apart afterwards. Some lasted three months. Some lasted one. Some lasted six. And, yeah. and a few of us you know stay around what's well, nice to have the support in a new place like yeah it was great I mean? because it's really tough when you go away from you know without your family in a big city and you know with no money 
Uh, you know, it's a little up and down. About how old were you when you went out to London? Uh, I was 22. Oh, yeah. I actually believe, yeah, 20, yeah, 22, something like that, yeah. So when you talk about being behind the bar and probably working all points of service, yeah. how did the, the interaction piece go? Do you like talking to people? Do you like learning about them? I, I, I love to, but my English was really bad at the beginning. Yeah. So I have to do a lot of work on, like, actually practicing. But what really, yeah, what really just suck me in into the hospitality industry it's a contact the social element the yeah. contact with people i love the creation of like making drinks because my mom was a great cook and i always grew up around you know the, the you know great food and, yeah. and and drinks in general as well like you know always the wine and the aperitif and stuff like that so i developed really young a taste for it but i think the interaction with people was my biggest things because it's got to be much bigger and larger and so many different kinds of people in london yeah. versus the small town yeah of you know? course and that's gotta and be exhilarating in and itself it's, too. it is so you know when you hit service and the and the, the the room start to pack with people and i told you i had the chance my first gig i mean i work in coffee shop for a bit like yeah. serving old ladies you know in like rich <laughs> neighborhood of london uh, they must have loved you right super super hot cappuccino yeah kind of yeah but i told you my english was really atrocious at the time like we'll uh, teach you how to speak yeah. english <laughs> Serving all this. No, it's not warm enough. Bring it back. Oh, now it's burned. I'm like, oh, yeah, you want it really hot. Anyway. That's uh, why I see you walk back and forth, man. I know. No, but man, finally, my friend hooked me up with this gig he had as a as a commie waiter at Nobu restaurant. And, you know, you got one in the US yeah. here. You obviously started in LA, New York. Right? Yeah. yeah, you got one in New York. They're everywhere now, but the original was, was in New York. Uh, and when I worked for them, they only had maybe four venues around the world. Now they have hotels in Vegas right? and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, but it was crazy. All the stars swinging by London were going there. So the, my first shift, I remember like hitting six o'clock and seven, we start to get dark and the, the room, like, it was so, I mean, I just remember looking around and be like, this is the greatest things ever. Yeah. I was just like running <laughs> drink, passing by, you know, Angelina Jolie and, and, you know, like some, any, any rock artist or, you know, great soccer player, all those guys. And right. I was like, this is fantastic. And the energy in the room was just unbelievable busy people swinging by everywhere drinks food like it was just you know people talking it's i don't know the energy when you start to shift when you in one of these restaurants yeah. or one of the big bar uh, it's hard to explain it's you, infectious yeah it's really and that's why you can do like 13 hours you know shift on your feet yeah. because you, you the time just fly it's, it's amazing yeah so when you talk about so it, this all kind of makes sense right all these things are coming together you have this element of understanding mathematics and engineering and food that you grew up with. When did you first step behind the bar and become creative and build what you might consider a great cocktail? Um, I think it takes some time, to be honest. At the beginning, you, you saw, I mean, for me, I, I learned it the old school way where people don't give you a shaker before yeah. you know how to do the setup, before you know hold the classic recipe on the paper right. and the signature drinks from the venue on the paper. So it takes some, it takes, some, it takes a while before you actually allowed yourself yeah. to grab some ingredients from the back bar and hey, look, I'm gonna create something. It didn't work that way. People, they wouldn't even listen to you anyway. They'd yeah. be like, hey, just stick to the classic for now. Learn a signature drink, and then you'll we'll, we'll take it from there. But that's got to be pretty v valuable. Yeah, go it through is, those. It is, of course, of yeah, to 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 go through those, uh, you know, classic steps yeah. for me. That's that's what I think made me. Uh, uh, a good bartender at the end because I didn't burn all the stages and I and I learned the classics and the basic rules of hospitality as well too because Nobu was such a, a service bar right. that you have to greet the customer you know remember them by name remember the, the signature drink if they had one or what they what they prefer 
you know, making sure the reservation is there and like, you know, managing the, the, the you know, sometimes you get busy. So you have to jungle between, you know, them wanting to go to the table and their reservation being a bit late. So it was right. a lot about managing people as well too, not only about making drinks. It's only really later. Actually, I think after three years when I, uh, yeah, when I really moved out of Nobu and I started to work on different venues, that's where I started to, to focus on credibility in drinks. Because you had some up, maybe some space. Yeah, I had a bit more time and space yeah. to do it. Uh, because in Nobu, I was really, it was so busy and so focused on, on customer yeah. that, and I was not the bar manager creating the menu. So my, my voice at the time didn't really matter. But that's, I think that's such a great way to start. Yeah. It is in a sense an apprenticeship. Of course. You know? and, you, and you look at you know, the Japanese bartender and, and a lot of uh, on the trade at the moment, people are, are talking about Japanese industry in general, yeah. like through the tools and through the, the craft. And, and you can see those guys, they, they're, not, they're not touching a shaker or like being a bartender before like, you have to wait like 10 years or something w- like that, you know, in I've, the background. I've witnessed it. It's yeah. like, it's profound because you can Incredible. see the line. Like yeah. you can see the invisible line, yeah. not cross that. Yeah, line. I know, I know. But and it, it's so powerful. Yeah, yeah. You know? And in the, and in the time in the UK, we we had that too, and uh, and I saw it was great. There was a similar place um, in New York who does that as well. Uh, same old school ways, employee only. Oh yeah. Who had this you know stage of like becoming a principal bartender and you know wearing the white coat yeah. and they had these things like you have to be a barback for years before becoming a bartender. I mean, I think that that's really valuable. It's great. I mean, it really makes you appreciate the job. And, uh, you know, well, I, and I've seen people being successful after two or three years of bartending, just burning all those steps. Yeah. But I think at the end of the day, it really gives you the ground for being successful in, in the long term. That helps a lot. I, there's, I had this conversation almost with everybody that's been in this industry for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. Pay your dues. Yeah. That's kind of what it is. It is what it is. You know? Because, you know, you can turn around and say, hey, I've done it, man. I've been there, done that. I polish all those glassware. You know, I empty all those beans. I'm up the totally. floor. Like it's, and it helps you to appreciate once you jump in into a management role yeah. or a head bartender or you, it helps you to appreciate, you know, the, the guy that you're going to hire to do that job. If yeah. you didn't do it yourself, then. How do you even know? That's it. You know, if you haven't yeah. been through the shit, how do you know what yeah, shit is? Exactly. Yeah. You can, hey, man, those glassware are not polished fast enough. I'm like, well, how many did you polish back <laughs> in there? That's six, man. You know, there is a technique around it. Yeah. It's it's super important. It is. So when we talk about the London chapter, seems very very formative. And mm-hmm. one, you're learning English, yeah, and quite well, right? At this point, very polished. What was the move to brand ambassadorship? Uh, that happened uh, later down the track when I, I moved first to Australia because I you know I met uh, I met my wife. So you met her in so London. So I met her in London, and then we decided to move in Australia. Gotcha. And uh, over there, I run bars for an extra. I think three, three or four years, yeah, yeah about that, and uh, and it was great because I was able to take some management roles and you know take an extra step into my my career, yeah. And uh, and after a while, I was managing this really busy establishment in in Sydney uh, called Hemisphere, which was one of these old school members club again, one of the original great cocktail bar from from Australia, still yeah. there as we speak, uh, and also really focused on service. So it was you know service bar. A lot of uh, regular, so you have to know them by name. You know, yeah. it was just one of these space. Just a where, high level. Yeah, of, really high end. Yeah. yeah, one of these space where it was great for me to go back kind of full circle to this kind of establishment. I really enjoyed that. Um, but then after a while, it's, it's, it was also late night, and uh, you know, you, your family situation changed. I had kids, and yeah. I just needed to see them a little bit more. And be a bartender, like you say, you live in the opposite of everyone else. So when you maybe that's kids, when you should have been a baker, right? When you had the kids. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> 
But I had the chance to jump in in the ambassador role. Yeah. Uh, first, actually, just was a what you call a whiskey specialist. So I was doing some training on the side for yeah. William Grant and Sound, the company I work for now. Um, they gave me a chance to, yeah, take all the the whiskey portfolio and go to venues and and do the trainings and and try to. It was like a like a rep, a glorified yeah, rep sure, in a sure. way, uh, which was great. Uh, and then I jump in into uh, the ambassador role with Hendrix. Hendrix, first. right? Yeah. yeah. What? It's hard for me to think because I think cognac, right? Obviously, your friends just got to be cognac or mm-hmm. steves or Perdue or whatnot. Yeah. What? Your flavors, your sense of palate, right? What yeah. kinds of things did you gravitate towards at that point? Were you a gin guy at that point? Were you something more bitter? Uh, yeah, I kind of like. You know, I always had one of those things for like dry and, you know, like, you know, straight spirit. Yeah. You know, like you say, like we do, I do, I did grow up with some, you know, uh, digestive kind of around my life. So I was already, you know, um, used to that. Yeah. But I say I was more like about the whole spectrum of flavor that you, you have behind the bar. I love any kind of spirit. I'm not saying that just because it's easy, just because it's great to make a cocktail and it's, it's a spirit for every occasion. And you know, like it's funny you say France and cognac. Every, every people probably a lot of people probably think France are drinking French are drinking cognac. All no, day. They, like, they don't at all. We do don't. <laughs> <laughs> we actually don't. It's pretty funny, but uh, most of the cognac is actually we produce. It's actually going for import uh, export. Yeah. Sorry, we don't actually drink it that much uh, ourselves. Right. Now we yeah. big dr- whiskey drinker. France is actually the biggest uh, whiskey consumer in the world. That's uh, are Pe-Abitain. you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pe-Abitain. Yeah, I mean, that's what I grew up on. Like you know, we went to to nightclubs and going out with friends. It's always, always a bottle of whiskey. Wow. Yeah, we I always have that. you know we mix it you know most of the time. But yeah, always, always. Well, yeah, we, you export luxury to us. Yeah, we, that, right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, a handful of people export the luxury. That's to, right. Uh, Just, and I probably can else. count it on one hand how yeah. many how many do that. But you know. I kind of I like Armagnac a whole lot. Does that have a little bit yeah. of a different credibility? Uh, Armagnac will be a yeah, different credibility in terms of like it's more of a uh, like a I would say people drink. Yeah, you know, in France, that's things of, you of came across people, a little right? bit more in small restaurants and stuff like that. Armagnac is yeah. a bit more. Uh, I'm not gonna say rough because it's not the right term because the product is great, but it's a bit more uh, down to earth. Yes. I'll say yeah. for the people. When cognac, it's uh, such a a glorified uh, product yeah, yeah i mean right. you know the advertisement everything around it make it so almost too fancy it's pop rock and punk rock yes that's how i look so at it right <laughs> oh, hip, oh, hip-hop and uh yeah yeah and, oh, there and, you go and, yeah. and classical uh, that's exactly something like that yeah something like that yeah but harmoniac is they're doing a great job to to try to to push a little bit more the product yeah but you know still when you talk to some of the family making armagnac i think at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter for them. Yeah. They're just making just the product for the people, and they know after the big, the big bucks, big money. Yeah, I think that's a really good thing, and that yeah. kind of begs the question: not, not that you've got the big bucks, but you're in a very visible position now. Mm-hmm. When so you have this, you know, great foundation in hospitality itself, and you get creative with the cocktail piece, and you're noticed by William Grandson. You go and you take the Hendrix role for uh, Australia and New Zealand, right? Yeah. So the, the it keeps building. Yeah. What kind of through this process dr- drove you to seek new opportunities? Was it money? Was it learning? Was it to support the family? Uh, no, it's, it's, it's no money. Because I work for a Scottish <laughs> company, you know. So. Yeah. <laughs> you work for Cognac if it's for the but, money. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, I would have done something differently. Oh, God. No, I, I absolutely. Um, you know the thing is like I'm joking about that, but it's actually the the best thing I think. One of the best things about this company, it's it's not about the money. If you stick around with William Grant and Son, it's really for for the family business. You know yeah. the family on, and and I love the 
the the camaraderie and the, the spirit behind the company. Uh-huh. And, I, and I mean it when I say that it's, it's truly unbelievable because I actually took a pay cut going out from running bars yeah. to become an ambassador, like a huge pay cut because you're losing already your tips. Sure. And even because I used to work for a, a big establishment, they they were getting me definitely, uh, you know, they were looking after you. Yeah. Um, so I didn't do it for the money. I did it because I I love traveling and I, I seen it as a great opportunity to do that. I love teaching because I, I told you about my experience yeah. about, you know, passing on the knowledge and I thought that would be great. Uh, I needed some some time, more time during the day to look after my family. And even if I travel more, that was a great opportunity for me to do that. And I, and I think it's still the right decision. Um, but for me, I always seek further. You know, I've been, I've been one of these guys. I told you, I grew up from a little village and I always, you always be in the back of my head to be like, what's, what's out there? What's yeah. next? What the things? I always had this. So I just keep doing this. And I'm just doing, you know, a couple of like parallel kind of move, you right. know, from, you know, Australia to East Coast of America, which I saw would be a great opportunity when I, when I heard the job was coming up and it was, uh, you know, one of my friends holding the, the, the position in New York. And when I heard he was, he was moving up and leaving the position vacant, I was like, I'm going to try this. If yeah. I don't do this now, it'll be, it's now or never. Yeah, it was right. a unique position in New York. And I was like, the company will be able to transfer me over. I think it was great. I spent nine years in Australia. And I love that country. I'm, 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 I'm also actually Australian now. I travel on the Australian passport. Oh, that's right, because you, ma- you married it. Yeah, 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 that's it. Yeah, yeah. And I spent nine years over there. So, you know, I, I consider it like, like home. But I just wanted to take this new challenge. I think in life, I always, you know, like to challenge myself and, yeah. and seek new opportunity. And, and that was just perfect. Then from the East Coast, Hendrix, I had the other opportunity to move and take the national role for Monkey Shoulder, a product which I actually launched back in Australia. Okay. So it was kind of like, so yeah, going, going full circle a little bit. Yeah. yeah. When I was a whiskey specialist and doing some contracted job for William Grant, I helped to launch a product in Australia. So you're drinking whiskey in the clubs in France. The yes. thing that's unbeknownst to us as Americans, <laughs> yeah. that, that's, that's what they drink. Uh, I can give you some of these You helped you know. launching it. I, in I actually Australia. was drinking Grant, uh, actually, matter of fact. Really? Yeah. Yeah, 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 because, you know, it was one of these good value blend scotch. Yeah. And in France, it's, it's actually really big. So I had my fair share of Grant whiskey. I yeah. didn't realize that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's there all the time. Yeah, it was there. Yeah. So it's quite Staring funny. Like, at you from across I actually the room. don't mention enough, but it's actually funny for me now to work for this company because I, I drank a my, lot of uh, it. Yeah, tons of it <laughs> back, back they, in the days. Effectively, you paid them <laughs> to drink. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's I, your I, whole retirement fund. You my, spent. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I worked. I worked for the the whole company. Yeah. So how long have you been in this role now with Monkey Shoulder? Uh, Monkey Shoulder. It's gonna be. Uh, past, just past a year now in the US yeah. a national role but it was like going back to you know well, it's, it's like I never left really. yeah. it was really easy and the transition since I was with the same team in the US uh, was, was really easy for me I love Monkey Shoulder the brand is, it's just great in terms of the everything you can do without sticking to the old school hey yeah. let's do a whiskey tasting you know there is so much you can do with that brand it really excite me um, and that's why it excited me with with Hendrix as yeah. well too, just to really think out of the box. And well, many of the brand like that that's kind of the William Grandson's thing. Yeah, you talk about the Montalobos, mm-hmm. Mescal's kind of brave and innovative. Yeah, Ancho Reyes, right? Yeah. Amazingly brave. You talk about the Monkey Shoulder Hendrix. I mean, it seems to be the culture. Yeah, innovative. E- new, every brand know? has a really strong uh, personality. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of rebellious a little bit, yeah you know? it is in a way we kind of you know refined we though right yeah but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we are a bit of a, a rule breaker yeah you know when they launched hendrix back in the days in, in 2000 
uh, people were like, they couldn't believe it. Like we, we created something with roses and cucumber yeah. and dressing up as you know Victorian era and doing all those crazy events. People were like, what what's going on here? And it was it's just been a success story since day one. Yeah. So it's it's great they were able to do that. And like you said, you mentioned all the other product as really strong personality. And Monkey Shoulder, it's it's not shy as well in terms of personality. So yeah. we're doing, you know, with people people are loving the product, what's inside the bowl, but also what what we what it kind of represents the brand personality mm-hmm. in a way, right? Yeah. Well, I think that's the perfect opportunity to finally sip some monkey shoulder and talk about this conga yes. shaker, man. This monster of a thing. I'll bring it over to you. Oh, yeah. Here. Okay. Okay. No problem. We got a brand new bottle here. Look at that. Let's do this. Oof. Don't you like that noise? That's going to sound great. <laughs> here we go. Thank you. Sante. Hola. So let's let's talk about the word blended for a second. Mm-hmm. I met with a couple guys who've owned some American whiskey companies, right? Yes. Blended has this just kind of weird connotation, almost a negative connotation. Yeah. yeah. However, if you're making a sauce or you're making mm-hmm. a meal or you're making a piece of sushi, yeah. what you're doing is blending textures Mm-hmm. And flavors to create the most comprehensive and the most satisfying sip. I agree. So, tell me about kind of the philosophy here as a blended whiskey for Monkey Shoulder. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's really. I mean, to it come down to marketing at the end of the day about yeah. the the bad image that uh, blend you know blended whiskey uh, suffer from. Uh, but the reality is blended scotch. It's it's you know like more than ninety percent of the the sales around yeah, the world like it's right? huge and that's what that's what at the end of the day back in the days made whiskey palatable you know not a lot of people were going around and drinking single malt back in the days actually matter of fact Glenfiddich was the first brand to advertise their whiskey as single malt oh really and being brave enough outside of Scotland yeah being brave enough to go and try to sell the product outside of Scotland mm-hmm. as a single malt but otherwise everyone else was sending out the blend because when they they discovered the uh, continuous distillation and we're able to you know distill with grain and stuff like that they, they make they made whiskey a lot more palatable yeah which was what you know people were looking for so it's not a bad thing people have been blending whiskey for like you know hundreds of years um the thing is with us we we're different from a blended scotch because we're actually a blended malt so we are blend different of single malts, malts. Yeah, oh, yeah yeah, yeah. so okay. we are a hundred percent malted whiskey uh blend of single malt from Speyside. So this is this is difference with us. It's no grain whiskey going into uh, going into a batch. Um, the story was basically William Grant and Sound were looking for. They wanted to create a new product, something really innovative, like you say, innovation always been the heart of the company. So they asked David Stewart, who was a uh, um, master distiller at the time, still a master distiller of, of Balvini, mm. more than fifty years in the business, incredible wow. uh, master distiller. Yeah, they asked him to to come with something rich and smooth. Uh, that you know, we want to celebrate the the fact we can mix with it, make cocktails. So they wanted to push it in on trade and talk to bartenders. Sure. So they say you know and create a blended malt, you know, which would be this category which haven't been really explored so far. So he came up with this wonderful recipe, twenty seven cask of um, whiskey he had, you know, on hand at the time, you know, around the distillery uh, from William Grant and Son, and uh, and Monkey Shoulder came to life, um, and he still 
made with three single malt from Speyside, yeah. uh, still all aged in first field bourbon barrel, so there's no sherry cask in there. So the so all Speyside, all Speyside, single use, no bourbon, peat, right? no peat whiskey, yeah, no grain, and and all single malt. Uh, and because all the whiskey are from Speyside, as you can you can smell and nose, it's it's, it's really fruity. I love that. Um, well, because it makes it lighter because of that area. It's you know? yeah, and you make it, you make it. You, make it really versatile which yeah. was the main focus here like it was made for mixing um so you've got this orange peel kind of fresh freshly cut gingers aroma uh but you also can definitely smell the vanilla and the cinnamon from the aging process because first feel bourbon barrel so the barrel is still fairly you know totally new from yeah. the bourbon industry so it impact a lot of flavors and uh yeah, once blend together it gives you this amazing Amazing whiskey, which I, I still love drinking neat. And that's what I yeah, said. I don't see, like, what do I right? need to add to this? <laughs> and it's the same. And I still get a lot of that. People say, wow, what do you want to mix with whiskey? It was like, because it's great. Because I like drinking whiskey in all different ways. And I say to people, like, you know, what about how great it is to have a whiskey sour sometimes, for oh, example. Man. So yeah. refreshing, right? But make a whiskey sour with a classic blended scotch that like you grab from, 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 a shell, from a shelf. So, and a lot of them add peated whiskey into it. Right. Which make it always kind of like a, you know this peaty aftertaste, sure. and uh, and also because this grain, the whiskey tend to disappear a little bit, mm. you know, in the mix when when you do it with monkey shoulder because we're a blend of single malt, the body of the the whiskey somehow it's a lot, um, I say stronger is probably not the, the right word, but um, you're gonna stand a lot more out of in your cocktail. Right. So compare it, make a whiskey sour with a blended scotch, and make a whiskey sour with monkey shoulder. And you're gonna taste the difference. You're gonna taste the whiskey more. It's gonna be so much more refreshing as well because there's no peat into it, and it's just it's it's just works so well. What at 43? I mean, this yeah. is the perfect proof for it because mm-hmm. it gives you just a little bit of extra punch. But the the punch and the flavor doesn't come from the alcohol or any kind of thin acetone kind of thing, right? Which that's sometimes you get that with whiskeys. Yeah. This is like soulful, full-bottomed woman kind of supple <laughs> caramel, right? That's yeah. what I get with it. And so yeah. that's the thing where I think when you're talking. You put it in just something as simple as a whiskey sour, yeah, which inquire, requires incredible balance. Yes, this is going to hold its own, but yeah. it's not going to impede on the citrus. It's yeah. not going to impede on the sweetness. That's it. So, I mean, this is the perfect member of the band. You can put it in I mean, anywhere, and it's going to just sit right in. You you can't drink it neat, on ice, you know, with on a date with your mom. Ah. <laughs> from a plate it yeah. still tastes great that's you know? right no matter what you're wearing <laughs> no matter what you want to do you can you're like plastic cup right now it still tastes see great. this is a great plastic cup branded plastic cup I know. so you know i'm sure being immersed in the world of scotch you have great mates on the with, with the portfolio in terms of the products other great personalities that you work with this whole age thing right yeah. do you think that people look at the number before they actually sip it. Some people still do. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah, I had customer back in the days, like, you know, being bartending, that the only things matter for them was the age statement. I mean, it's it's a funny, always a story behind bartenders about the joke, people drinking John Walker Blue and Coke, you know, right. like, uh, it doesn't, the, the thing, for, because for a lot of people, it's just about the the name and the standard and, and how, you know, how old is going to be or, or premium is going to be and, and whatever. Uh, the mixing with Cox is a different story, but the drinking needs, like the older you get, the better. Yeah. It's it's actually not true. There is some amazing young whiskey out there, which are, you know, 
quarter of the price and absolutely, absolutely unbelievable. You know, you talk to the guys at Beam, for instance, right? They'll say eight years. Yeah. That's right. And it, that is. Uh, Parker Beam said that as well from Heaven Hill. Mm-hmm. That's right where it gets perfect. Yeah. And you can go younger and you can go older. And sometimes it's exceptional and sometimes it's rubbish. But sometimes it's not. Do I you, mean, you know, like I say, you, always, you, you come down to, to a strong marketing that, you know, uh, has been done back in the days about pushing the statement, pushing the statement, which is... And don't get me wrong, some of those whiskey are, are fantastic, yeah. but it's not every whiskey doesn't have to be aged for at least 20 years to yeah. be to be sippable. You got to sit it down, spend yeah. a good time getting to know it. Yeah. And That's you like know what? Anything. Most of the time, the key is company, you know? That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can drink a lot and you're 50 years old whiskey, but you can have a, you know, a good 10 years old something or even under and then be in co- good company and... and it makes it even better. So much it? better. Yeah. Yes. Everything tastes better when company yeah. is good. Now the key is that the way the way you master this is gonna put the product together. And all right, put it that way. Talking about single malt and, and the agement and stuff like that, and talking about blending, for yeah. example, people think still in their mind that if they go like a uh, a single malt, you know, eighteen years old, whatever, it's from one bowl and that's it's, that's that's not true. Mm. It's actually blended as well. Mm-hmm. It's just a blend of different bowls from the same distillery. But it's still a blend of different bowels. Right. So that's what people 18, don't realize. Right? That so, it's, yeah. it's still blended. Unless it's written single bowel on your bottle, it's, it's a blend of whiskey from different bowels. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong about being blended. Do you like going into those crowds and helping people understand some of those definitions of whiskey? Yeah, I, I used to, to do that a lot. Uh, you know, when I was working for the whole portfolio back in Australia. Yeah. Now it's monkey shoulder because I don't do any any not really really little of those traditional tasting mm-hmm. uh we do a lot more uh energetic you know yeah. activation like you know parties and stuff like that and, and stuff with around cocktails and mixability and we try to really think out of the box so now nah, i don't have too much of this one-to-one with people trying to explain them what's sometimes it's like know. beating your head against the wall anyhow yeah i mean you know with the thing with monkey shoulder is like we don't want to only target the the whiskey drinker right we want to target the drinkers we're like a, a new generation of whiskey for a new generation of, of drinker. Right. The people who actually enjoy their drinks for what they are, you know, want to have a good time. And of course, you can discuss the complexity of, of a liquid, but, you know, you also want to have, have fun, right? About the company. <laughs> it's about Again, the company, right? At the end of the day, that we'll is... We'll put a monkey shoulder on the table with some good friends and you're, you're set. It's a and, great... And that's gonna, not going to break your bank, you know? Yeah. Like, you look at the price of the bottle, it's about around $35 in, in, in an average yeah, uh, for a blend of single malts. It's not bad, right? Yeah, it's a great deal. Yeah. Well, so I know you've got a tasting here in just a little while with some reps mm-hmm. in the fine city of Austin. I think some folks are even driving up from San Antonio. So i got a couple questions left for yep. you. One, you know, I'm, I love Brits. I don't know why. It's just have this predilection. I just this affinity for them. Same thing with the French. Yeah. Do you still... How about this? Were, were movies in French film yeah. and French music, were those things that kind of influenced you that you kind of keep going back to? The French movie? Yeah. Um, you know what? Matter of fact, yes, I do. Uh, I think it's about what I find in a lot of French movies, it's, uh, it's a lot more, most of the time, about small stories. Yeah. So they make movies yeah. about some stories, like small stories. I mean, by small stories, I mean like regular people, That's less right. action, more boobies. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> not the not, not the end of the world, right? Like it's not that. It's no, about it's boobs. I said that. Romance. <laughs> it is. My wife always complains, saying, "Why is a French movie like it's always because it's kind of like part of the whole thing, and and which make it not that obvious when actually you know about 
you know, woman breasts and stuff like that. It's kind of a natural thing. We don't yeah. get offended. We had like nudist beach. We sure. got like, you know, it's, it's just We're not a big deal you for know us. It, you know? man. Yeah. yeah. We want our cognac to look fancy, That's but if you show us a boob, we're going to start like <laughs> retreating around. <laughs> so the benefit of that. But no, I think it's a, it's a meaning as well, some of the story. And probably because I can relate to it as well yeah. a little bit more. Don't get me wrong. I, I love the big blockbusters, American. Uh, there is some great movie I watched from the, the UK as well. Um, funny story. My uh, flatmate was a big fan of uh, Love Actually. Okay, you know, yeah, I love movie. that movie. Uh, girls Richard love that movie. Curtis, oh, is that right? Yeah. yeah. I probably watched this movie. I watched this movie probably about thirty times. Oh, I'm yeah. not joking. It's because great. our way to learn English when we were in, in London, when we were home in the apartment, was to actually uh, watch this movie with subtitle uh-huh. and to be able to kind of like get the accent, English right, accent, right. and register and look at the words. And so we literally watched this movie about like more than thirty times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so, amazing. Yeah, thing, yeah we did. We did. So, do you classic. have un, uh, unrealistic requirements for love now? Yeah. Is that <laughs> Yeah, I'm a really romantic person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Even Ringo got a Bond girl, right? Uh, you know, a bit of love, you know. That's a, great, I mean, that's a great way to do that, you know. It's a, yeah. That's what I would do is I'd watch Godard or Truffaut if I were trying to learn French. I'd yeah. just kind of look at it with some titles. So it makes lots of sense. Do you know, I, I had, you know, I've, I have Swedish, uh, Swedish friends and stuff like that. And uh, they, you look at them, the English is always perfect. Even going out of school, yeah. you always wonder. Well, they already obviously doing really well at school in terms of like teaching the kids English. But um, I went to, you know, I had a friend and I was like, what's, what's, uh, what's the deal with you? Like, how do you do that? It's like, well, you know, all the movie you watch, you know, in, um, in French, like US movie you right, watch in French, right. but we don't have that. Actually, everything is in subtitle. So they've got the Swedish subtitle, but everything is still in English. So they can learn it so in they, English. Yeah, the ear, get, get used to it really, uh, really young. I think that's a really, really great learning tool. Yeah, it looks really efficient because yeah. every single Swedish person I met, is, his English is always kind of impeccable. I'm like... Better than most Americans. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> better than mine too. So two questions left for you. And this one, I'm really curious how you'll answer. So let's say you're, you're at your favorite bar in the world, where and whatever that may be, drinking mm-hmm. some mon- monkey shoulder. And you can have a conversation with anybody, living or deceased. Who might you like to just sit there at the bar, sip some scotch, blend the scotch, and then have a conversation with? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, do you know what? Um, a personality? Sure. Yeah, is that what you, is that what you yeah, question? Yeah, li- could be an actor, could be a character. Could be an actor, a character. Yeah. Um, okay, I had these things, um, you know, I had these things when I was at uni and I was like, quite big in like South America, you know, history and, you know, looking at, you know, the, when I see the, when I watch the whole things going down, for example, in Venezuela and stuff ah, like that. Right. And I had my, my friend from London is from Venezuela and I, you know, I had the chance to go and visit his family for months over there. I always had this kind of passion for South America. Mm. So even at uni, I did this, um, uh, presentation on, on Che Guevara, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I, I love this story. I thought it was crazy. It's just like so romantic and crazy, like like a movie kind yeah. of things, you know. Right. So yeah, if there is one person, I actually love to, to sit down with Che Guevara and get the, the real story of what really went down, yeah. you know, at the time. And yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, this, sto- this, this story is, you know, with Fidel Castro and stuff like that, like a cra- cra- crazy Riveting thing. stuff. Huh? I mean, it made a good movie. Two-part Whoa, movie, too. There is, yeah. Yeah, a yeah. massive three, three yeah. and a half hours long. Time. I mean, he, he became such like a, a 
you know, and marketing kind yeah, of things too absolutely. at the end of the day. But yeah, it's it's, it's a great story. So uh, yeah, I would have loved to get input on, and because I I've, I've, I visit the people down there and I, and I see how they live and, and you know, it's, uh, it always fascinates me that we forget what we take for granted here oh, in a sure. Western civilization and yeah. you know, we, we had it good and we all got a good life, so. It's nice to get the palate cleanser and kind of a dose of reality sometimes. Yes, yes, I will all remember this feeling and when I came back from Venezuela after a month and I, and I landed in London, this feeling of like, wow, feeling safe again. Sure. And I love the experience in Venezuela, but really made me realize how, how good we have it. Yeah, that's mm. amazing. Well, so the last question for you, again, you know, I have this tasting here in just a few moments. And where are you headed to next? I know you had some flight delays. You were going to try to dance at Glenn Fiddick Dave's party last night, but you yep. had a flight. What, where are you off to next? Uh, next, I'll be down uh, up, sorry, to Chicago. Chicago, okay. Yeah, so we've got uh, a couple of things going on over there. We have our uh, Ultimate Bartender Championship oh, cool. with Monkey Shoulder. Yeah, so with a uh, competition we're doing with Bartender about all the skills, up the bills from, you know, speed round to knowledge to carrying a tray yeah. to presenting a drink. Uh, so we're going to do a round over there, and uh, I've got some special guests coming with us. Oh, cool. Some legends of the bar industry. Still working, you know, uh, in some of the greatest bars around, around America. So they're going to come with us. So we're going to do a bit of a Q&A the day before with yeah. all the trade people. Just sharing knowledge and say, hey, if you want to be successful in the industry, maybe listen to those guys. They might have some few advices, you know. Yeah, So that's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's a plan. And maybe, maybe going to, uh, there is a great festival going on at the moment in Chicago. So. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm lucky, I might make it on Sunday. I'm sure you guys have tickets. I think, I'm sure that they uh, yeah, get you tickets. I, I, I heard someone might have some yeah, golden passes. There could be some bands playing. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. It's a, a palooza or something. It looks, yeah, it looks quite big. <laughs> I'll, I'll go and check it out. Yes, always modest. So. <laughs> well, man, it it's really great that we finally got to sit down and chat you're sitting in again a red velvet throne right you know i mean this so is comfortable luxurious yeah it looks like you're i haven't seen anybody look this comfortable ever okay. in any of these chats <laughs> two years strong now over 100 chats and you're the most comfortable looking man and all this and it's brilliant sipping talking about the company man sipping monkey shoulder with you returning to the source of it it's all full circle nice it's great absolutely man. thanks so much for sitting down hey thanks for having me Thank you it's very good. much. We'll keep in touch, I hope. Yeah. Yes, please. Right. please. Thank you. Love to. Thank you. Bye. Well, there we have it. Seb Dabomay of Monkey Shoulder Scotch. Great to sip Monkey Shoulder Scotch with him. I love the scotch at 43% ABV. I mean, it gives you just a little more flavor, a little fiercer boldness. I guess I shouldn't be in marketing with all these adjectives I'm trying to use, but it was great sitting down with him. Fun guy. Loves music, loves wine. He comes from this amazing kind of traditional French countryside background, moving to London, moving to Australia, bringing that metropolitan life into his own. Good father, good style. Seb, it was just brilliant getting to sit down and chat with you, mate. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Should V with Mike G. No matter which hidden gems on Netflix you think might be worth watching, such as Vantage Point, which is a movie that I missed, but well worth a watch for you at home, or if you're thinking, man, beans and rice, does it get any better and more fulfilling than that? Please keep dancing.